seated as we walk through Psalm 121 together. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please join your hearts together and mind as we actually, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, you see that of ourselves we have no strength. By your mighty power, defend us from all adversaries that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, our Old Testament today is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country, on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is found in Romans chapters 4, verses 1 through 8, and then continue on 13 through 17. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as as righteousness. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null, and the promise is void. For the, raw, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the word of the Lord. Peace to God. It doesn't look like these are going to uh, help us out today. <laughs> I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. A gospel reading from John's Gospel in the third chapter. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated, and I invite Rachel and our grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Do you have any Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for gathering us together into your presence. We pray that you move by your spirit to remove distractions from our hearts and minds as uh, 
we come to you, humbled by your words that you bring to us, knowing that you give us rest in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So teenagers know more than their parents. Students know more than their teachers. Uh, trainees know more than their managers. Right? No? You're laughing and shaking your heads. That's not true? They think they do. <laughs> That's a fair point. They think they do. It's an interesting thing as we grow and we get into these situations where we realize that we may not quite know all the things that we thought we knew and that somebody else might know just a little bit more than we do. I have no idea how to fix that right now. That's okay. It's all right. You know, someone else smarter than me is going to come in and be able to help with that. As we walk through these Lenten Sundays, uh, we are looking at different encounters with Jesus. And on Ash Wednesday, uh, we saw his encounter, um, actually, no, not Ash Wednesday, I apologize, last Sunday. There's a lot of things going on in, uh, during this time. Last Sunday, we saw his encounter with the devil, right, during his temptation. And so we saw what that encounter looked like as he encountered temptation and dealt with that in our place and for us. As we look at this Sunday, we see Jesus and Nicodemus. It's kind of where Jesus encounters pride. So what's going on in this? setting. It's really quite interesting. Nicodemus, as you know, is a teacher. Jesus even calls him that, right? Are you not the teacher of Israel? Yet he's calling Jesus a teacher also, kind of realizing that maybe he doesn't quite know everything because he's asking questions. And rabbis and teachers in that day, that was what they did a lot is they would ask questions. But throughout John's gospel, you have to watch when these things happen as well. And it's really quite interesting because it is I'm sure you picked up, there's that one little phrase in there, Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night, by night. Watch all the things in John's gospel, and it's so poetic and beautiful. All the times when people are confused, it's dark. All the times when people get it, it's light. And it's a really interesting thing to watch as you walk through this whole time. And so as you watch John's gospel, again, watch that flow of when people are confused and don't know what's going on and when things are going uh, in a way that they probably shouldn't or, or people are asking questions, it's usually nighttime. And when people are really getting Jesus, it's in the daytime when he's really showing miracles and everything else. But nonetheless, Nicodemus comes to him at night and you've got to love a bit of the humility to begin with. Teacher, we know that you are from God. No one else could do these signs that you do unless he were from God. Okay? And Jesus says, unless one's born of water and the Spirit, uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, huh? <laughs> what did that have to do with anything? I don't understand what you're talking about at all. That doesn't make any sense. How can somebody be born again? That doesn't make any sense at all? How, how can you enter back into your mother's womb when you're old and be born again? And Jesus says, no, no look, unless you're born in water and the Spirit, uh, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And he says, uh-huh, what? You can imagine this prideful teacher coming into this moment, finally realizing that there's something about this guy that he can't quite wrap his head around, that he can't quite grasp. And I love Jesus' words right there in that moment. Look, I've been telling you about earthly things, and if you can't wrap your head around earthly things, how can I tell you about heavenly things? 
when were you telling me about earthly things? <laughs> there is nothing observable in what you said, Jesus. There's nothing that you said in that moment that makes any sense whatsoever. But how often people around or our culture or ourself want God to fit in this box that we can understand. How often do we look at his word and say, well, that doesn't make sense, so that's probably not what it means. Let me change the meaning of whatever these words are and put them into a realm of things that I can wrap my head around and that makes sense to me. You see, Nicodemus came to Jesus kind of wanting to find out what sort of box Jesus fit in. He had him in the from God box, but not necessarily the God alone box, right? He knew God was with him, but that maybe this God that he believed in was working through him in a different way that he was working through anybody else, uh, but not necessarily that this man in front of him is God. And a lot of times we come to God's word and we see these pieces of scripture that may confuse us, may make us scratch our heads a little bit, but it may just run counter to the way we wish things were. It may tell us that we've got to do something different in our life, believing in this God of Scripture, believing in this one who's created everything, and then we hear a bit of his word that goes against our understanding, and then all of a sudden we want to change that meaning. We want to make it something palatable. We want to make it something comfortable. We want to make it something that we can understand. Probably not the best thing to do. That's a child telling his father that he knows more, that the child knows more, that the child knows the way it should go, that the child knows the way his word should sound, that the child knows the way in which his word should work within the world, and that the father doesn't know anything. It's not really our spot to tell God what to say. It's not really our spot to tell God the way his word should work in the world. It's not really our spot to tell God to be quiet. And so we get humbled a bit before God, as Nicodemus was as well. You see, that's what happens when Jesus encounters pride. The pride can well up for quite a while. The pride can make you strong, the pride can make you confident, the pride can give you this sense of knowing that you know everything and how it should work, and then all of a sudden God comes in with a word that doesn't make any sense at all, just as he did with Nicodemus. You've got to be baptized, washed, cleansed in my word, Nicodemus. You've got to be wrapped up in everything that I've got for you and stop telling me what to do, Nicodemus. You've got to stop trying to fit me in your box, Nicodemus, because I'm not going to fit there. I'm not just a teacher from God. I'm his son. And in the same way that Abraham believed, in the same way that that faith was counted to him as righteousness, your righteousness is going to come from me, Nicodemus, and the faith to believe in who I am is going to come from me and the Father, Nicodemus. When you're born again of water and the Spirit, and you're baptized in that name, where his name is washed over you, where his promises wrap you up, where everything that I'm going to work out for you is going to be done and handed over to you as righteousness, that's the place of humility that we get to stand 
when we see that God actually knows what he's doing and we stop trying to tell him the way things should look. Because we want to do that pretty often. We want to tell him what our family should look like. We want to tell him what our relationship should look like. We want to tell him what our gender should look like. We want to tell him what our sexuality should look like. We want to tell him what it means to be able to care for those or just to kill them off. We want to tell him all kinds of ways in which our days could be more convenient and comfortable. And that's not our place to tell God. Yet when we're washed in that word, when we hear that word wash over us and we start to realize who God actually is, it brings hope. I mean, Abraham in that Old Testament was not any God follower at all. And then God calls him out from this place of distance from God. And he says, hey, through you, I'm going to bring about a whole nation of people that's going to be countless. I'm going to give you this promised land. This beautiful place in which I'm going to set you and your family and all those who will come after you and through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And we see that big, wide start of things with that promise funnel all the way down to Jesus to this point where he's sitting with Nicodemus. And we hear those beautiful words. Nicodemus, look, God so loved his creation that he sent his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world might be saved through him. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise given to Adam and Eve. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise given to Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise handed over to you that you have eternal life because of him because of his work, because of his righteousness, because of all the things that Christ has done for you, because of his death and his resurrection, you have life. You have everything that doesn't make sense in the world, yet is still a reasonable faith. That's the beautiful thing about all this stuff that God has done for his creation. It's not a blind faith at all. You can point to things that have happened in time and in places and with people you can point to the historicity that's a fun word right we can point to the all the historical things that have happened that are accounted for in scripture you can look at all of those things from outside of scripture as well and how people attest to the fact that all these things are true and many today will still try to wrap their heads around god in the same way that nicodemus did there's another moment in Scripture where Nicodemus is walking in the light, no longer in the dark. It's when he's walking with Joseph of Arimathea, carrying the body of Jesus from the cross over to the tomb. Nicodemus is there, fully trusting in who this Jesus is. This one who has come into the world, not just from God, but as the Son of God to die for us, to rise for us, that the whole world wouldn't be condemned through him, but would have eternal life. And that life is yours. Amen. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take our pride and give it a back seat, that you would speak into our lives, that you would continue to raise us up in faith, that you would continue to speak your words into our lives as your beloved children, where we think we know more, we pray that you would show us your words. 
your ways. Guide us by your spirit. Lead us into the places that need to hear more of your word and give us the strength, Lord, to live in your promises for us in Jesus, knowing that our salvation comes through him alone. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as we sing.